and welcome to episode 8 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim. Thank you for joining me. This episode is our recap, post-game, if you will, of the 2017 Nova Open Tabletop Wargaming Convention. Before I dive in with Carlo and Lavelle about our experiences at Nova, I'd like to give a couple of shout-outs. First, to Joe and Colin, who put together the Nova 40K Trios and Narrative Events. Tireless, robot-like energy from the two of them, made for a great couple of days of gaming, so thank you, gentlemen. Also, a big shout-out to Dan N. Campbell, from the 40k Badcast. I've played with both of these guys several times. Top quality gentlemen doing a top quality podcast weekly, no less. So big props to them for the work they're doing. Best of luck, guys. It was great to see you in D.C. Okay, on with the show. Joining me again in the studio via the miracles of Skype and Xbox gaming headsets. Returning from our adventures at Nova Open 2017 is Carlo and Lavelle. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me once again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think we had a great time. We started off the four-day bonanza of wargaming with trios. It's a trios tournament. You're playing, your team is essentially playing two games at one time. One is a doubles game of 1,000 points each player, and one is a singles game of 2,000 points. How did it go? I'll go out there first. You know, I think we had a really, really strong start. Um, We were up. We ended up in the 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 top bracket. But um, I know for us, and you know, Tim and I, we played that last doubles game. You know, it was it was pretty devastating. (laughs) Sounded pretty brutal. Do you want to work backwards? Why don't we work backwards from the last game where we did make it to the we made it to the top row of tables? Like we had a shot. But let's talk about that last game. Lavelle, what happened to us in that last game of the day? Oh, wow. You know, I, I think that we – this is one of the things that I have about our hobby. We built armies that made sense, and we were across the table from people who built an army to win, period. You know, between the Magnus and the – what was it? Three or four Grandmasters. Yeah, it was three Grandmasters. Yeah. Three or three Grandmasters. It was – it was it was. you know, I don't – I can't find another word other than brutal to bring come to mind. So losing losing your Serastus Knight turn one was that, – that, that, that's a blow to our forces. You know, that's a big chunk of points taken off the table in one turn. It was pretty amazing. It was amazing to watch, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was like watching a car wreck. It was kind of amazing to watch, yeah. I think, you know, the fact that they got turn one, I think if we had gone first, it would have, it would have, the game would have gone differently, maybe not dramatically differently, but it would, certainly would have been a little bit more enjoyable for us. But, but they got turn one and just poured everything that they possibly had into that night. And how many wounds does that have? I think the knight has 24 wounds. Right, so that's 24 wounds in one turn on a knight. That was, it was impressive. That's a, that's a lot. That's a, just a lot of damage going into a night. Twenty-four wounds. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's the thing. Normally, they can do twenty-four. They can pummel the night, and you think, well, you know what? They're focusing all their fire on the night, and everybody else will kind of, kind of come around because 
they're not getting shot at. Sure. But we just, it just, we just could not. Yeah, it didn't move like that, no. All the spells or all the uh, psychic abilities of the uh, Grandmasters, all the warp timing that was going on, they, they were all over the table turn two. And it was pretty much downhill from there. Yeah, you know, I just, I, I'm, it goes back to their list build. Their list build, um, they had combinations that I would not have really thought of at all because they, they, they had it, it was just all over the place. They had the Grandmasters, they had Magnus. On Magnus' side, they had the Demon Prince, and then they had a, a Krieg soldier as a HQ. Right. It was like, okay, we're going to just pick anything. Forget command points. We're going to pick anything to fill these slots. Well, it's just a different. It's just a different way to approach gaming, right? Because they were they were after lists that were going to be super powerful and hard. Those lists, from a narrative standpoint, made no sense. Like you said earlier, you don't. You know, Magnus wouldn't be running around with Alpha Legion. Uh, what are the things with the variable strength? Um, obliterators. Obliterators. Thank you. So they had Alpha Legion obliterators in with Magnus with a Demon Prince and a bunch of. Uh, Cultists. 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 Sorry, yeah, cultists with a bunch of cultists in the backfield. There was a very, obviously, very powerful list. It did 24 wounds on a knight turn one, but but it, it did, doesn't make any narrative sense. And then they threw in the, the uh, what was it, the, um, what, which assassin was that? Wasn't that the Kalidus assassin? The uh, Averser. No, it wasn't the Averser. Really? It was the one, the Psyker, the Psyker the guy. Vin- Vindicare? No, the Vindicare is the sniper. The right. Averser is the guy with the skull head. The Kalidus is the woman with the, um, you know, naturally, it's the one, the the only one I can't remember. The Kalidus Kalexis. is the woman. Kalexis. It's the Kalexis. That's, that's it. what it Kalexis. was. Yeah, the Kalexis. I think that's what happens when you put narrative lists up against a list that is just sort of min-maxed to the point where it's just as powerful as numerically possible. Yeah, I think, so with, with that, you, like, I, we were bound to see something like that sure. that was very, very po- powerful. And I think we were lucky to get through the first two games without seeing something like that. For the most part, it was a little disappointing to get completely steamrolled that third game. Though that was that was rough. It was like the pinnacle of the day, and you're just like getting smashed yeah, to death. Yeah. yeah. So you played the third round solo, Carlo. Tell us about your game. So I brought a a 2,000 point list for that. I brought um, two squads of Thunderwolf cavalry. I brought a wolf priest on a bike with um, my knight uh, paladin with the Thunderstrike gauntlet. Uh, Two Razorbacks with twin assault cannons, uh, with six Grey Hunters with a melted gun and a power axe in each. Uh, Rhino with like nine blood claws, one, the leader with the power axe, um, and some Devastators with three missile launchers, or long fangs rather, with three missile launchers and two LAS cannons. Um, I think that's it, yeah. And, you know, I wish. If I could go back and play that again and make that list again, I would have brought Wolfen instead of the Cavalry. I, w- I thought I was doing well, and I'd lost the game, I think, 19 to 12. So it wasn't too bad. And I thought I was doing well uh, at the beginning of the game. I had taken both of his... Uh, he, he was running um, the Custodes army, and he had two land raiders with las cannons on them, and he had uh, three or four squads of those uh, Custodes guards with the spear guns or whatever they are and then a few other things maybe it was a really like oh yeah he had like two inquisitors or something like that so one of them was an hq so that list was at first it was one of those lists that's like it's almost like a like you're getting hustled because you feel like you're doing so well in the beginning 
And then as soon as those custodies touch you, you just get vaporized. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, like f- Space Wolves are supposed to be good at close combat, and it was pretty rough. I ran two squads of Thunderwolf Cavalry with a Wolf Priest reroll, so they're all rerolling failed to hit rolls in the fight phase. Yeah. And to one squad of five, and they completely wiped both of my squads. Jeez. Yeah. And then my devastate, like everything on the left side of the board got chewed up by that squad over there. And one of the squads, he didn't even take out the Land Raider because it didn't even need to come out. <laughs> so it was like I got tabled, I want to say turn five, top of turn five maybe. The upside was we did call it an, er- an earlier night, which was kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what we're going to call the upside? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's rewind the game because we had won everything else until that last round of play. You both played doubles in the second round. We'll work backwards one game. I had the singles game. I was up against a guard in Space Marine Army. I won by one point, but it was a it was a good game. It was really super fun. He kept talking down on his list, but his list was really good. And we, we had a nice back and forth. Um, you guys were up against, was it Eldar and... The second game of the day we played against uh, Raven Guard and... I've like a space marine army and I can't remember. It might've been Imperial fists. Oh, okay. I'm not sure, but it was like, it was like three dreadnoughts or something like that. Or four dreadnoughts was okay. the other. Yeah. I can't remember that list, but I remember one of the things that, that we were very successful in that game is, is being very tactical. We were yeah. very tactical. We were able to move forward. We preserved my night and we kept his night out of the mix. And at the end, his knight was there, my knight was there, but we had secure, we had our troops in a secured objective position overnight. And I think Carlos said one or two of his guys left, but they were there. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So what, what we played against were, it was a knight warden and a knight paladin, three dreadnoughts, uh, three squads of tactical marines, uh, space marine captain with a jump pack, uh, some rough riders, uh, some bikers, Space Marine Bikers, I think. And then uh, I want to say that was it. There might have been some other stuff. But I think we did a great job of, like Lavelle said, we placed our guys really well. And he, his night, same thing that happened in the third game with you guys, took a lot of damage, like first turn. And I didn't bring mine to that game. I brought Wolfen instead. And unfortunately, they, like, charged up the field. And, you know, they took, a, like, a Dreadnought or two out but got chewed up pretty bad but we were able to keep our troops on objectives at the end of the game and we i think we won by maybe what three points or something total level it was a close victory actually i think i think we did better than that in that one yeah i, th- I think it was better. and that was, was because er- earlier on you were you, you were doing a lot of headhunting we got a lot of his hqs and there's a lot of his characters yeah that game was really really good and um he tried to concentrate his fire but we once after turn two, when we were all in his backfield, we broke up his concentration of fire, and he had to make some difficult choices. That was the thing. We left him with some difficult choices. It's always good to make your opponent roll dice and to force them into doing things they didn't plan on doing, right? To put them on the back foot at every given moment is obviously a very good thing, and you guys found that in game two. Yeah, I think so. We did make it like two major errors in that game. Uh, between the two teams, right at the beginning of the game, both of us put our HQs. In the back of our armies with a giant, like, 20-inch bubble behind them. Because we were playing um, Ham- Hammer and Anvil, I think. Or right. whatever the the one is that... We did the one with the spearhead on the end of it. I can't remember what it's called. Where you get that little... Yeah, I think it's Spirit and, Assault, yeah. Spirit Assault, Something right. Like that, yeah. So 
I put my wolf priest right in the back, who is my warlord, and he put his captain with a jump back right in the back, and I brought uh, a rune priest down. Oh, that was my that was my warlord. So I brought the rune priest down to smite him, and then he had raven guard coming down, and I don't know why, but he didn't drop them in behind us because he could have done a lot of damage if he had done that. But for some reason, he dropped them off to the right side of the field on top of an objective, and they just ended up getting steamrolled by the cavalry when we came through. And uh, Lavelle was firing a bunch of like uh, stuff from. I think he had a few guys barricaded up in that line of sight over there and he was just shooting shots and them taking them down yeah you know one of the things though i think in that game our opponent underestimated the staying power and the brutality of the wolfen so by the time the wolfen got on him he was he, he had to fight that out and that allowed my my signs to move up slowly and constantly shoot at his other uh, his other things, and you know. Meanwhile, the knight was picking off his dreadnoughts, and we were just very tactical from the very beginning, making our opponent make some hard decisions. And the first game of the day was Carlo and I paired together, and Lavelle. You found yourself in a knight fight up against ultramarines, right? I remember you each had a knight just facing off dead center in the table for a long time. It felt like. Let me tell you what happened, and which was interesting. First of all, I got—I cannot remember the guy's name, but he was a really, really good player. And he start—he said from the very beginning he hadn't um, played a lot of games. And you know me, I'm an easy player. You know, I was helping him out, but it was—it was a really good game. What happened was that his um, his knight was um, his knight charged me and wrecked me. He wrecked me. <laughs> that chain sword, he wrecked me. And what I did is I made the decision to not engage in combat. And I backed up. And because I backed up, I was able to put a, some significant firepower into the knight. I think after he charged me, my knight went from 20 to 20, from 24 to 4 wounds. Whoa. 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 And, he, he was, and I backed him up. And when I backed him up, everybody else was able to really get the – and then on the, at the end of that turn, his knight was down to four wounds. Right. And so it was about are you going to get the charge on me? But at that time, I was very, very methodical <clears throat> using my orders and picking off his centurions. I got a couple of my assassins in his backfield that caused him to turn around and shoot the assassin up. I did make a mistake in that game and that um, – when I tried to charge my Aversa assassin, I didn't contemplate having to go up in inches. And so I really – he was not in the position to really charge because he had to be nine inches up. But he was nine inches and over a hill, and so that, that was very difficult. But even still, he, you know, he had to focus his fire. Meanwhile, I've got my – you know what you were talking about. I've got my bombards pummeling down. He's got his guys in cover, but the bombard is ignoring cover, and right. I'm hammering. It was a good game. It was a good game. He, he had some flyers, too. How did you deal with the flyers with your guard list with the uh, Scions? I completely ignored them. I didn't really have anything with the flyers, and so my objective, I was going to try to table him and leave him nothing but his flyers because he had some significant points put into his flyers. And so once that happened, he put his drop pods down. I said, I just got to get rid of everything else because, he, he, you know, they were taking his toll, but I, I really couldn't do anything about him. And that served you well. It did. I did the same thing in my first narrative night fight game against Nate and his Grey Knights. He brought a knight paladin with the rapid-fire cannon and the storm spear missile pod and i ignored it the entire game and it wound up not really doing significant damage to anything i lost that game 
fair and square. But I think if there's something on the table that you don't have a quick and clear response for, sometimes just ignoring it is the best is the best strategy. You know, my son Akil, he always talks about when we when we play the game Infinity, he always says when you're in a situation, don't look for the model that's in that situation and get you out of it. Look for something outside of the situation. And I was really getting pummeled. He had guns galore, and he was blazing me. But he had already dropped his people, and the people were the only ones that could take objectives. And so what I focused on is, you know, I'm in this situation with this flyer. I can't do anything about it, but let me get everybody else and try to get them off the table. Don't get distracted by the big model flying around shooting things, but play to the mission, play to the objectives, and see if you can make some progress there. That's that's great strategy, yeah. I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the displays. Um, so part of the part of the trio's tournament is creating a narrative and kind of a a visually uh, striking display board for the three armies to sit out on. And after the first round, everybody's asked to set up their display boards and armies, what have you, and any narrative materials like a printout or an audio drama or whatever for judging. And it's a big part of the of the trio's competition, and people do get really into it. So one of the things that I want to say is I was super, super, super impressed with some of the handling from the, the, the competition there. Um, I took pictures, one that was really good. There was a, a Space Marine, an Eldar, and I think it might have been an Imperial Guard unit. And they used this link portal design. You guys remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, the war portals. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was really, really beautiful. Yeah. It was it, So the displays are really, really good. I felt like my display board was a little oversized, and I guess I didn't really think about the sizing. You guys, your your display boards in terms of their width really lined up. So next year when I go in, I say, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. Next year I think we just – we start with three of the same pieces of wood or foam or whatever and then, you know, doctor them up in our own style and then bring them back together again to give them like one thing that brings them together. Like, you know, for the listeners that didn't see any of the pictures, we, uh, Lavelle had found these wooden arrows that looked very much like strategy arrows from like a, like a game of risk or like any map you'd see in like a, like an old school war movie or whatever. They're just wooden arrows. Right. So we painted, we each painted them in the colors of our army and had them on the display boards. Now to kick that up a notch, which is what we should do next year. You know, we should start with the same size board and then come up with some way to really connect the three boards more than just having similar visual elements, but some way to really make the boards work together. Because that war, that warp portal uh, board arrangement, the one, was amazing because it was three discrete uh, display boards linked together by these warp portals they had built out of foam and some kind of printed translucent plastic, which looked amazing that literally took one board into the next into the next. So they were really linked up and looked great when they were sitting next to each other, and they were also really strong when they were apart, which, you know, obviously is, is pretty dope, and which is why they won. It was well-deserved. One of the things, not to get too far ahead into next year, one of the things that we need to kind of really get down to is what we want to do about list-building style and how we feel about our, our um, narrative approach versus a winning approach. We built and played armies that thematically you would see in the 40K universe. Right, real, yeah, real armies, if you right. will, right, quote, unquote. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want to be disparaging to other people's armies, right, but I agree with that statement, real armies. 
Um, and it can be hard for a real army to compete against a quote unquote unreal army. You're not going to ever see this. This is not in keeping. I'm, I'm saying when you look at the other armies, sure. this is not in keeping with the the theme and what's going on. Yeah, sure, you could build this army, mm-hmm. but it's not in keeping with the overall theme. Carlo, how did you feel about the balance of our three armies together? I think we did really well. Like um, last year, I think we had a similar turnout, at least from my perspective. Like we had won both of our doubles games, and then I lost my solo game, and the same thing happened this year. And I think, like when I went into this year, I spent a lot of time working on my two thousand point list, and I had no idea up to a week before what I was going to do for my 1,000 point list and we had talked about doing the wolves Mm -hmm. yeah and it ended up like just like throwing it together last minute with stuff that I thought was cool worked out way better than this thing I had engineered for like a couple weeks on my computer like (laughs) in between every break at work that I got and like playtesting several games of yep you know so it's like I think all in all, next year, I think what I'm going to do is just run what I think is – it's like the rule of cool. You know what I mean? Just run what you think is cool, what you think makes sense. Lavelle, how did you feel about that Inquisitor and Acolyte combination that you had in your list? I thought that was interesting. It was really, really good. And, you know, I I threw the Acolyte in there because I wanted a meat shield for the Inquisitor. But it turned out to be far more effective than I had thought it was going to be because they really had to get through the Acolyte. And it was more it was far more difficult than they had originally thought. I actually ended up with two acolytes and I had one further up and then another back. So they had to get rid of the first one before they could shoot at the second one. And then they had to get rid of the second one before they could even get at the Inquisitor. And, it, you know, they were soaking up a lot of shots. Right. It was really, really a good thing. The other thing that I added at the last minute was the Astropath, who is kind of like the uh, dollar store psyker because, you know, he can't really smite. <laughs> he's, just, he's only 21 points, but uh, what he did have, <laughs> the dollar store. Yeah. I, I, I do love that phrase. I, that, 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 I love that. Yeah. The, what he did have that made a difference was his psychic barrier, and which increases the um, the armor save of the um, whoever he cast it on. And what made that ended up being what, what made that really matter was it increases the armor save. It adds one to the saving throw, and so it took my four plus to three plus. So I have a guard unit with a three plus save. Oh, and so he was behind the unit and he was casting on the unit and the unit is moving up and everybody's expecting a really guard unit, but that that made a difference and that actually increased the unit's ability to stay on the board. It was really really good. That combination it looked good on paper and you know occasionally you'll come across a combination that looks good on paper. But then when you put it on the table, you're like, eh, that wasn't as effective as I thought it was going to be. But it turned out to be really, really good because I had my scions moving up with a three-plus save. And they still – they're moving up with a three-plus save. And then I'm giving them an order that makes their uh, their hot-shot last guns, which kill Marines, you know, do, do four shots. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Right. And and that I, I actually – I think he didn't really anticipate that. Maybe he didn't know the rule, and I actually was able to eliminate or reduce down to one model a whole squad of Marines. I shot him all off the uh, the objective. And he That's wasn't also clutch. expecting the fact that my, my, um, my, my general had the ability to give more than one order. And so he was kind of ordering people all over the place. And, they, wait, you, you can still do that? Wait, you can still do that? <laughs> and then I remember what I said in our, our, our last podcast. 
keeping those two command points. Right. Right. And I used them to, to you know, I'm going to auto pass this, uh, the morale check here. And that right. made a difference. Yeah. That made a difference because they were, ab- there was two guys there, but my two guys were troops and his bikers were uh, fast attacks. Oh, that was in our second game, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think we won because of that. I want to say that little, yeah. that objective in that corner. Cause it was, a. Uh, it was one of the secondary objectives that gave us two points. It was a big score right there. It's nice when it's nice when something that you look at on paper and something you think about doing before the game actually really works. You know, when something that you plan and you want to remember to do and you want to remember to try, and then you know the light bulb goes off mid-play and there it is and it works. It's nice to set something up like that and have it be successful. You know, one thing that I did forget, I forgot that the knight can fall back and still shoot. But here was the thing that I forgot. Hmm. Remember I talked about getting his guy down the four? Yeah. I fell back and everybody shot him. I forgot that it can fall back and still charge. And had I remembered that, I would have charged his knight. Because my Tempest Warblade, which has plus six strength, um, minus three AP. And, you know, anytime you roll a six on the um, the wound, you do an automatic additional D3 wound for every six. And so that could have that would have actually wrecked his guy because I'd have been charging him with four attacks. That would have been good. Yeah, knights can do whatever they want you know, in combat. As soon as they leave combat, they're still able to do whatever they want. So that, I mean, when I look back on it, that was the thing that I, I forgot. The charging, um, my Aversa assassins were really, really good. The Vindicare units... You know, they were good, but sometimes I struggle with target selection with the Vindicares, but I'm, I'm going to work on that. If I could go back with my time machine and do something different, I would go back to four weeks before the tournament, and I would have arranged for us to play more as, you know, um, a unit, even though I'm the first to admit at the last minute. I did change my army. <laughs> and it was all based on color. <laughs> I was thinking the yellow, and I said, you know, my signs are already yellow. This might not play better, but it's going to look, look better. <laughs> hey, we, it worked out. We had that primary color pattern going on. So, you know, one of the things I, I'm, I'm going to say, it, um, looking across the room, I, I did notice that, you know, at the Nova, we're seeing more diversity. You know, we're seeing uh, more, um, more women playing, more minorities. I, I do think the, the Nova as a tournament is really, really open, and it's a different environment. One of the things, you can come to the Nova and you can compete having not played a lot of games. Almost every, even the guys that kicked the, kicked the crap out of us, everybody's polite, everybody is is considerate, and it's a real good environment. Even, you know, there were no disputes, even in discrepancies. People are deferring to, well, what would you mean? What was your intention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that, Milo. Did you mean for me to be able to see him? Okay, make some adjustments there. And it was really, really good, and I, I really enjoy that about the, the entire convention. I, I, that's my because you know at this particular convention I was in three different tournaments, three different games, and that vibe does car- carry over in, in other games as well. I was surprised at the start of the trios. Joe asked, you know, how many folks this is their first competitive quote unquote event, and the vast majority of people that had showed up for trios, this was their first tournament. 
And then how many people have not gotten more than, I don't know what he said, but how many people are basically new to 8th edition? And there was, a you know, the vast majority of people there still considered themselves new to 8th edition. So I think what they've done really well, Lavelle, to your point, is that Joe is, and, you know, Nova at large has cultivated this this friendly this tournament with a smile kind of kind of attitude you know where you can you, everybody should come in and plan on having a good time at least in the narrative track of, of play which includes the trios and the narrative event that joe runs it is very uh it is welcoming to newer players and maybe players who are returning to the game after being outside for a while and i think it shows in the fact that the turnout was better than last year and they were more new tournament players involved this year which was really cool you know what the trios is a game it's a tournament that um, – because you're not alone. You've got people on your team. So it's really, really inviting to new players and new tournaments. If, if, if you could do your first tournament, I would recommend that format. I would really would. Absolutely, because you have somebody by your side. You have somebody you can ask a question of if you need, and it's not like you against a room full of strangers trying to figure out what's going on with your list. Yes. I agree. Yep. It doesn't feel so lonely. Hmm. <laughs> it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt quite so bad when you can lose with friends. <laughs> yeah, I had a, so much fun. I, I mean, even the game we got stomped on, like the guy we were, uh, I was playing against, Aaron, was so fun to play against, despite the list that I really, I did ha- still have a really good time. And uh, those guys who played first that are actually from our area, I think they play mainly at the GW store in our yes, area, yes. were really, really fun to play, and they gave us some beers, so that was really awesome of them. It, it, was, uh, nice to be, it was nice to be handed a uh, Founders all day at, like, what was it, 10 o'clock in the morning by your opponent? That was a nice way to start the, uh, to get the vibe going. Right. That was interesting. I felt yeah. it was an obvious trap to get us all licked up <laughs> and, 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 and um, impair our judgment. That's right. That's, that's definitely, the, like, the catalyst that was uh, working its way through the like night fights was that you know uh, I met a couple guys that had cases of beer uh, really nice guys from Kentucky threw me a beer it was awesome and then the guy we played against in the last uh, narrative fight on Saturday uh, Kiro gave me a shot of I don't know what it was but it was great and I had already had like four gin and tonics by then so. <laughs> I felt really good. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part of the reason why the narrative track and the trios is so much fun is because people do go with the intention of having a good time and making it a party. You know, having a, a day of partying around the tables, rolling dice, which is great. When you Duck lose, people. when you lose like that, it doesn't matter so much. It's true. It's true. It takes it takes the sting yeah. out as it should. Yeah. Did you see that they duct taped that dude to the column? Yeah. What, was, the, that, what, what was that about? What happened the, there? Uh, it was mini wargaming. I think uh. did it right. So the mini wargaming podcast. I think they. It was like a, I don't know what the the point of it was, but I know they like duct taped him, and I think when they duct taped him, his shirt had come up. So when they ripped it off, it like oh. took off some of the hairs on oh. his uh, chest, <laughs> oh. and everybody was like, "Ooh!" It, it like went from everybody going to, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and then, like they ripped it off. And like, Ugh, oh God, it's <laughs> too bad. What did you see that um, surprised you the most at, at the at the tournament? I saw St. Celestine once, and I saw Magnus once, and walking through the Invitational and the GT, it was like Gilliman, Magnus, and Celestine were everywhere. So I was glad to see that players in the trios and even into the night fights in the narrative track, um, I was glad that nobody just bought the 
biggest, heaviest. Not a lot of folks bought the biggest, heaviest model and just put it in front of their army, like Gilliman, like Magnus, like Celestine, what have you. I was glad that that didn't happen. I was surprised by that. Yeah, because that stuff can get really, uh, like, it looked like, like you said, it wasn't, like, you're not exaggerating at all because literally it was like two, every two out of three tables had Celestine or Gulliman or both yeah. in the same army. Yeah. And it was, uh, at that point, it's like a little bit uninteresting to watch. How, how about you, Lavelle? What did you, what, what did you see that surprised you? It surprised me that fewer people bought knights. A knight is pretty formidable, especially in a team. But it, it surprised me that fewer people bought knights. But here's the thing about this is the most surprising thing. The number of people who bought guard. There were a lot of guard armies. Yeah. Right. So, there, you know, there, there was they, the codex isn't even updated. But I, I think they like the number of, of, um, of, of models on the table. I saw some beautifully painted models. I saw some of my own models. And I got a lot, a lot of ch- opportunities to say, hey, how'd you do that? Or where'd you get those from? So, you know, it was really, really good. But the number of guard players was really, really warming to me because I, I, I like the guard. I feel like when people bring guard, they are thinking through some strategy some military strategy that they're going to employ because with with guard you're just not going to be able to overpower somebody carlo what about you what surprised you that you saw at the trios uh, i really liked like i'd seen a lot of stuff that i just hadn't seen before because i think uh in seventh and especially towards the end of seventh everything was pretty cookie cutter like you were bringing this list or you weren't winning at all there's so much like lavelle was talking about diversity of people playing there's so many diver- there's so much diversity of lists being played as well it was fun to see you know so i got to see gray knights which i like barely saw anybody play in those last edition i got to see those uh in our first game that uh tom was playing those earth shakers and i had not seen those before and they were kind of fun to watch and, and they wrecked us pretty good but they're fun to watch <laughs> it's funny you describe us look at the missiles they're so pretty coming at us <laughs> <laughs> it's like staring into the sun on your last day oh god <laughs> So in light of our experience at Nova Open 2017, I'm going to come out here and make a big bombshell statement. Maybe it's not that much of a bombshell statement, but it feels bombastic because I'm going to say it very close to the microphone without distorting it. iPads are killing 40K. Dun, dun, dun. And, and I say that, I know, people ah. like, I know people like the eBooks. I know the enhanced content is cool, but I feel like if you are hunting and pecking on an iPad for your special rules in the middle of a game... You probably would do it faster if you had the book with the little colored post-it note flags in the corner. You know what I mean? Then, if you're trying to fuss with the iPad and find it on the iPad. I think the problem is a little bit broader than that. I think the problem is there is no really good army builder. A really good army builder, um, for a while I used Battlescribe, and it was working well. But when you print it out, it does not... It, it just the printout isn't working. Yeah, you can't print. You, you can't print from BattleScribe. Print it. Right. You can't print from right. BattleScribe. That's my biggest complaint with that piece of software. So what I do is I take everything in BattleScribe and I put it manually into an Excel document, into like a, a spreadsheet with all the little boxes around all the stuff, and try to highlight stuff that makes sense. But maybe that's it. Maybe if there was a universal list creator software piece that everybody could know and get comfortable with, and 
recognized as sort of the standard or whatever, maybe that would solve the problem. Carlo, how do you feel? Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, I've done it both ways. So I think for a while, last edition, I had the Wolfen Codex on my iPad, and it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Every time I had to look it up because I had to. It would it would turn off and then to enter the code to go back in and like Battlescribe would sometimes be slow opening up or like the codex and iBooks would be slow opening up and even if you you can bookmark those pages and highlight text and stuff like that and it's still I mean, having the book right in front of you is a little bit quicker I think it but is faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but I th- I also think that if it was like you guys are saying done well it could be a lot quicker someone just needs to I think Battlescribe I think. They do an amazing job of compiling all that information. Yes. But like you guys said, for some reason, when you print it out, it doesn't, it like cuts it off at the bottom of the page. Like the formatting's not right on it. Right. And there's right. some other issues that go along with it that kind of, it's a lot of information on one page. And there are options in the program to kind of simplify certain things, but then you lose what you wanted to read. You right. know what I mean? Yep, so, yep, yep. You can have it not include some rules and not include some details, but still. Every time I've tried to print directly from Battlescribe or even like export as a uh, like a Word document or an HTML file, I've even tried getting the HTML, putting that into a browser window and trying to print that browser window and all this stuff, and it doesn't it doesn't play nice with printers. Tim, to your point, after the first break in our tournament, I went downstairs to the Forge World uh, booth and I bought the Forge World book, which I had no intention because I had it on my iPad. But I went and actually bought the book because the book allows you to get to it faster. But even there, you know, you should be focusing on the table and the tactics, not flipping through trying to find stats. It's true. It's true. I mean, it's it, some games, you know, granted, some of the games we were playing was really late at night at Nova. You want to keep rolling dice. You know, you want to just keep keep the flow going, keep stuff happening. So, I mean, at some point, you're rolling without your opponent even paying attention. And it, it's, not, it's not, you know, you're not trying to pull any tri- fast ones. You know, you're just trying to get the game moving. And you can't keep clapping your hands at somebody across the table and asking them to pay attention when they're just trying to get ahead of their next move by trying to read the rules on the little screen. or in, in, You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I saw definitely a little bit of that going on. And it was a little frustrating. While we're talking about that, I think, didn't you guys hear something last year about GW bringing out like a War Scroll builder for 40k. Not War Scroll, obviously, because we don't use those. But I don't know AOS too well, but I think they took over the piece of software that a like a third party developer had made for AOS list building. Why not just do the same thing for 40k? I think that'd be wonderful. That way, you could even make a shopping list. You know what I mean? You could just say, "All right, I need this, this, and this." Oh, I don't have that. Better throw it in my cart. You know, it seems like an easy way to funnel people back to just buying more stuff to fill in their lists. You know, that's a good point. I'd be all about it. It's a game with a lot of rules, even an eighth. You know, there's a lot to get your mind around, especially if you're not. You know, my memory is not what it used to be. Some people can memorize every stat for every army, recite it to you forwards and backwards. I'm not that guy, so I need my cheat sheet. But if you know you need the cheat sheet, just make the cheat sheet. You know, just print out the stuff you need. Make yourself the, that two-page document that's just going to be your lifeline to sanity when, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and Carlo is standing across from you at the table tapping his fingers on the tabletop. <laughs> I can could, I could be a little uh, irritable sometimes at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> Everybody can. You know, the game, stuff happens when it, when it gets early. You know, stuff happens.
Happy progress. I know we're leading up to Nova. I had done a ton of hobby progress to try to get stuff ready for the tournament because I do like playing a completely painted army. I really do like that. And I do have a backlog now of models to be painted, so I might start breaking that rule pretty soon. But I, I really do try to have everything looking tight when I bring it to the table. I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, but hobby progress since Nova, or let's throw in some purchases. And did we buy anything cool in Nova that we want to share with our listeners? Carlo, how about you? Happy progress since Nova or at Nova? Since I think the last thing... Oh, no, I did work on... So I've been working on... So I've been trying to take up less space on the dining room table because oh. I don't have... I have a small apartment. I don't have a dedicated hobby area. Uh, so I was like... I told uh, Monica, I was like, okay, after Nova, I'm not going to cover the the table with Warhammer models <laughs> and white snow flocking and like little bits and like glue all over the place. I'm probably going to have to like sand this thing down and refinish it. <laughs> but, uh, so, but you know, I start, so I started painting some of my infinity models. I think the other night I Zenith primed like all those dark age models that we had got at Nova. Yeah. So Tim, so for all the listeners, Tim and I had done a build and play, um, which I really enjoyed the game. I think the build and play could have been organized a little bit better, but it was only one guy running it. And there's so many people like they maxed out and I don't think they had expected to been maxed out like that. Yes. So they didn't really have enough supplies for and glue and cutters and everything for everybody. So, but you know, we got through it and it was a really fun game to play. And the guys from the company are really nice. Um, so, like those things, those models look. I think look really great. Um, but I, I, I've been painting up some of those. I've been painting up some of my Infinity models. Uh, while we were at Nova, Tim and I were able to take. I think it was Saturday afternoon. I want to say it was. Yeah. And take like three hours there, just sitting. And they had a nice dedicated. This is one of the really awesome things that they did this year. Is they had two or a dedicated area just for hobbying with stocked with paints. And supply other supplies and like awesome lighting to work underneath of. So a great amount of space there too. Like could fit like thirty people up there hobbying at the same time. So it was awesome. So I worked on that dreadnought that's been sitting in my uh, case forever, just built and primed. And Tim showed me a few tips on highlighting the fur, and it came out really great. And I was able to use it in that uh, night fight that night. So it was really fun. Lavelle, how about you? Um. I bought a crap load of stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> the most important thing, I have completely built my army for next year. I bought that um, box set with the custodies and okay. the Sisters of Silence. Oh, the Talons of the Emperor. Yes. All right. And I got it at 40% off. Oh, nice. Whoa. <laughs> I got it at 40% off. That's great. And um, I'm starting to build my custody squad and the, the Dreadnought and the Lamb Raider that's in there. I'm adding in the units that I already have. I'm good to go. So now I need to start doing – I'm going to focus on hopefully by January having all of those models there painted and um, built and painted. And then starting in January, I'm going to go into a zen-like state and begin planning my board for next year. Awesome. You know, I felt like I saw some things with the custodies. I, I saw them in play. And I've been looking at some battle reports. I liked what I saw. And I think combined with my existing knights and my Vindicare assassins, I can do some damage. 
you have a number of armies, so you're going to try to put some of the other stuff away and just really focus on that one force. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm going. Yes, I'm going to build this army, and starting in January, I'm going to be playing that army. It's a great idea. I'm going to get, that way. I can get a little bit more familiar with it, and and I can decide after I've gone to a couple of tournaments. I can decide, in you know, sometime in April, May, if this is working. But that's my strategy right now. I've got a two thousand point list that I'm calling the Emperor's Mace. Nice. <laughs> right, and I got the Vern- the Dreadnought in there, the Land Raider, and two units of Custodes, and everything else is all models that I already have that's all ready to go. I met a guy because I don't really want the Sisters of Silence. I'm willing to trade, and I was supposed to split the box with him, but I could never find him again, and I wasn't going to let the 40% off go. But So if anybody's interested in the Sisters of Silence and their rhino, give me a call. I might be interested in those just to paint them up. Okay. They're cool models. Fun. Yeah. Right. So I, I thought that that would have that uh, that would have given me a different feel. It's, it's a smaller number of units. But Carlos will tell you, because I asked him about it. Those custodies have some some saying power. They are unkillable. <laughs> like what, you, you could actually for your 2000 point list next year, you could just play one unit of custodies. Uh, that's that's it. I actually have two units. <laughs> And so I, I like being able to pick up that purchase. I picked up that purchase, and the guy um, from the Toledo Game Room, which I like, who has all the bits, he had five models already put together. And I bought that squad, and I just have to swap out one of the arms. I'm looking for an arm to swap out. And once I get that together, that unit will be good to go. I'll be Oh, and the other thing that I'm working on but I'm not playing, um, I have a unit of a, a Death Watch Terminator squad. So I'm kind of – messing around with that and seeing what I'm going to do. They, we have a tournament coming up this month. I might put them on the table for that. Now, outside of that, um, I had a really, really good showing at the Infinity Tournament there. I took third place. Congratulations. So, That's great. Yeah. Thank you, man. It was really, really good. It was great competition. And I, I, I attributed it all to my son, Akil. Because Akil, you know, you start shooting at me, I get mad. I run across the table, try to shoot you up. Akil's like, hey, can you slow down? Just play the scenario. Don't worry about retaliation. And I did that, and I did it really good. But I saw some nice armies there, and I have some models. I have multiples of other models. I'm, I'm thinking about taking those models off their base in, them in a unified way because I saw that, and I really liked that. Nice. And, nice. and that other game that we picked up, what's it called, Ethereum? Ethereum, yeah, it's a real good yeah. one. So I have to start working on those models soon too. I'm kicking myself for not going back downstairs and getting – I assumed you could just get those other Ethereum factions online, but you can't. You can only get them direct from the company at at a con. They don't have distribution yet or anything. Oh, I actually had it intended to go back down and pick them up, and I just totally forgot about it because we had so much stuff going on, and there are so many awesome vendors down there. Can we talk about that vendor hall for a sec? Oh my god! Like, and the really awesome thing about the new GW is that they they had so much um, exposure at Nova this year. They were all over the place. I think I saw Duncan like 16 times in passing. And I was just like, every time I was like, I should probably go up and say hi. But I was like, yeah, he's probably busy. But um, they had, you know, the guys that you see on TV all the time, like on the podcast and on the painting guides. And uh, they had those guys working the Forge World booth and walking around and asking everybody how they were doing. And then all the other vendors, like Mini Wargaming was there. Um uh, Broken Egg was there. Shapeways was there. Uh, they had some really awesome vendors. Uh, there was a, a 
an author down there selling a book. I picked up a copy of that. Um, and then uh, it, it was just there was just such a wide variety of stuff. I, th- I feel like it was a lot better than last year. You know, one thing that was a little disappointing, Forge World. How so? You know, I felt like the Forge World booth only really had what was new. Hmm. I had hoped to um, I had hoped to pick up some other things there, and I was a real I was a little disappointed in that. The uh, the Ford the Forge World booth at Adepticon was it felt like it was a similar size, but they had boxes and boxes of stuff behind the counter that wasn't out, and you could ask, and they had everything back there. They had like all the obscure like Rhino doors and all this. They had all the weird stuff back there, which they may not have brought to Nova, or maybe just nobody knew that they had it and just didn't you know. Didn't bother getting it. I don't know. I intended to pick up a night there, but they they had nothing like that, and so you know, I was just like, okay. I want to deviate a little bit. Hit it. Did anybody get a chance to see the thirty k games? No, I saw them happening in the corner, but I didn't go over and look. I think there's just too much stuff going on. Was, uh, were they uh, interesting? Uh, let me just use one word that you know I may be overused, but they were beautiful. They <laughs> were. Beautiful. All the models. Uh, I was I was just so impressed with the 30K. So impressed. Yeah, they were absolutely beautiful. The the, the jet bikes. Oh, it was just incredible to watch. It was incredible to watch. I got a lot of pictures of it. But I was really, really impressed by that. I was like, wow, maybe I want to play. I, I definitely want to play 30K. I'm, I'm, I find myself in this limbo between... I have one of the red books, and you need the two red books to play Space Marines in 30K. And then, you know, with the advent of 8th edition, they're going to be updating 30K in some fashion sometime soon. So I, like, in my eBay watch list, there's always the other red book that I'm missing or, like, one of those great, you know, the black book series, you know, like 1 through 6 or 1 through 7 now. I'd love to get those, but I'd like to know where the game is going to land before I dive in, you know, and really really get into it, it but it, it, it does look super cool and from what i've read of the missions the you know the gameplay dynamics are really cool too cutting again across subjects that other game that you guys plays with dark it was dark age yeah dark age yeah and dark ages by uh cool mini yeah cool mini or not yeah yep. i played in their other game their other tournament um oh, wrath of kings yeah wrath of kings i played i did not do well in the, in that tournament but i had an, an incredible time first of all it was only two rounds and the two people that i played were very experienced it's a game that i don't get enough time there but um i have a very nicely painted army for wrath of kings and i really really like the mechanics but um i like cool many you know i'm that was the guy i met at gen con huh. and he had all the new models that i went I, I usually get, and he told me not to buy anything because he remembered me from the Nova. He said, "I'm going. You going to the Nova? I get it there. Don't try to stuff it in your suitcase." Uh, cool. And I was able to get everything that I needed. But I had a really good time there. I have a, um, I have a Shell Han army, and I have a, a Celestial contingent. I've got about thirty models of them that I need to start building. I was really surprised by the fact that Cool Many are not sold out of a lot of Dark Age stuff over the course of the weekend. And, it, you know, the, the build-and-play was sold out. Our obsession was sold out. I assume the others were well attended. Um, and they, they sold completely out of rule books. They sold out of the secondary objective cards. They sold out of a lot of stuff at that booth. So maybe we will see more Dark Age stuff going on. I'd be interested in playing in a Dark Age tournament next year because the game is light. It's pretty quick. It's, it's fun. There's a lot of neat things that can happen. And you can sit down while you're playing. It's on a 4 by 4 square, so it's not like you need a big... You know, your feet aren't going to get tired. It's a nice way to mix it up from playing uh, 40K. 
Yeah, let me just put you on alert. They have a game coming out called Rising Sun board game with some of the most incredible miniatures I've ever seen. And um, I tried to play that at Gen Con, and it, it, it was just sold. It was just not sold out, but it was just always full, always full. I tried to get the game there, too, but it doesn't come out yet. Um, but it, it, it looked really, really good. Rising Sun. Rising Sun. I do look forward to playing Ethereum. Uh, Carlo and I had sat down with one of the developers for a, uh, a game, like introduction game or whatever, in the board game room back there, which was well stocked with other games, by the way, and there were people back there playing. But we had a good, um, we had a good game with uh, Matt, one of the guys who works for the company. Anvil Eight Games publishes that one. It was a Kickstarter from 2014, and it's a, it's really cool. They're square based uh, resin minis on a grid system board. On that grid, you put these tiles to kind of arrange terrain, and you can move terrain throughout the course of the game. Some things block line of sight. Some things cause other things to happen terrain-wise on the board, which is really fun. The like, terrain like shifts around in uh, big squares, so you can you can like rotate it and gain entry to a different uh, part of the square that maybe you didn't have access to before. It was neat. And the dice mechanic was cool. It was they were kind of D. I guess they were almost D tens, but they just had symbols on the dice. And depending upon what symbols you roll, it triggered different actions across the model that you had activated that turn. And it was it was fun. It was. I look forward to playing it again. It was it was really good. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed that game. I like the the cyberpunk type theme. Yeah, yeah this, you play the game. You you play the game in cyberspace, and you have your avatar and other programs. I like that theme a lot. Exactly, which is how you can rationalize the world kind of constantly shifting, because you can, you know, as sort of the you know the virtual game master or whatever, if you will, you can kind of change a bit of code, and all of a sudden the the board changes, you know, and even even the way that those uh, I forget what they're called, but your actual play board where you have your cards that represent your models in front of you, it's very much set up to look like a like a control console over a piece of like old. Uh, you know, old hardware or whatever. It's very much like a like a physical thing that you're banging on while you're playing, even though it's just you know it's cards and markers and dice and whatnot. It was it was cool. I look forward to playing that. Yeah, I think that they were. I think those pieces were actually called console. That's it, right. right? And right, then you it. put them on that's top it. of the quantum break yep. or whatever it's called, right? Yeah, that's it. It that's was awesome. It. That was your console. And if you step it, if you step into that quantum break, you take heavy damage unless you're that one. Uh, faction that like surfs the quantum break kind of you know and they can they're like the fishermen guys and they can like harness it and shoot it at you it's awesome it was really good yeah it was yeah. really good the uh my hobby progress since nova you know got the dark age stuff i have since ordered a couple of other dark age things um i started cutting out from the sprues the dreadnought that was in the goodie bag from nova which was really nice and uh, thank you, Lavelle, for the second Dreadnought. So I'm going to add two Contemptors to the list at some point. Um, I thought that was a nice perk for registering early to get a Dreadnought out of the deal. And uh, I did build the rest of my Dark Age stuff, and I have yet to prime them, but they're uh, they're about to get primed. But I haven't done any 40k hobbying because I'm really happy to have 2,500 points of Iron Hands painted, based, it's not totally finished. Like, there's details to be. If you look real close, you'll see some stuff that's done in one model that's not done in another. But that's the kind of stuff that I can enjoy taking my time and kind of just, you know, doing an hour here, an hour there kind of stuff. As opposed to, like, the couple weeks before Nova, I was putting in some serious, like, early morning hours trying to get everything done. So it was nice to have that stuff in the box, ready to go. I can just pick up that bag and play 2,500 points at some point. It's nice painting something other than 40K stuff, too. Like, the plastic shape differently, you get a different material. Like, all that Dark Age stuff is either resin or metal. And I like painting. Like, I think the the 
paint and I'm not I'm still novice. I'm like an intermediate level painter, you know what I mean? And I think I feel like the metals fun in a different way to paint. Yeah. You know what I mean? The yeah. resins the paint reacts differently with it and it's it's so it's interesting. It's it's good to yeah. mix it up. It keeps the hobby fresh and keeps things uh, challenging and interesting, which is why we do it. I can't I think we need to paint our dark age stuff up to like su- super nice quality and start p- playing games at Red Caps to try and get people interested on Thursdays. You know, and I I think that's how Joe got everybody sucked back into Infinity because he's just playing like he was like like he was like the last line of Infinity players on Thursday nights. It was dying down a little bit, and then it just blew up again. Like that picture he posted the other day. I think day, Jason so. Jason might play Dark Age. He might know. actually have a, um, an army. He might have some figures. Yeah, I know. I know Alex was into it. T- TJ was interested in trying to game out. So we could probably get a couple people to play. I think Jason was the one who convinced us to do the demo of it last Nova. He couldn't come this year, but I'm sure he would have loved it. So maybe we can force him to play it with us. I, <coughs> um, you know. <laughs> cool. We'll take a short break and be right back. Hope you enjoyed episode eight of Crew Shaken. We wrapped up our Nova Open 2017 coverage. Sounds like we're all going back next year, maybe with some more display board action, maybe with some more refined uh, thousand point lists for the trios tournament. But we're going to return with the, some pep in our step and smiles on our faces, I'm sure. And we look forward to seeing more of our listeners there next year. Again, big shout out to Joe and Colin for putting together an awesome weekend of 40k and more and the Nova Open staff for keeping it moving. So, for Crew Shaken, I've been Tim. This is Laval. And I've been Carlo. Thanks for listening.